0: Olaf Bjarnason to Lawrence, played through here. Ricardo Ten minutes to go, and it could yet be a celebratory night the Potteries.
1: Hello, and welcome to episode nine of the Wizards of Drivel podcast. A Stoke start life back at the Bet Three Six Five Stadium, it's Man City who hit the jackpot in a four-one win. We'll analyse where it all went wrong and try to find the positives from Pep's first visit to the Potteries. We'll also be looking ahead to two away games in a week with Stoke facing Stevenage and Everton as we search for our first win of the season. There's no Chris or Jason this week, but making his second consecutive start from the left back in the studio podcast is Ben Cartwright. Hello, good afternoon. Thank you for having me. And it's a welcome, no problem. And it's a welcome back to the podcast for Bear Pit TV blogger Tom Thrower. (sighs) Ah... Okay. Stoke City 1, Man City 4. Doubles for Aguero and Nalito either side of a Bojan penalty. Ben, we'll start with you. What are your immediate thoughts the day after the game?
0: Well, I mean, disappointing. Obviously, the result is always disappointing um, to have a loss, but especially when... Well, obviously, 4-1 completely flattered Man City. There was no... There was no That game was not a 4-1. It didn't feel like a 4-1 and Nalito's probably got the two easiest goals he's ever going to score. Um, I, I said at the time, if if it finishes 2-1 or 3-1 even, it would have been fine. Man City are a great side. They've got... It's probably one of the toughest games we're going to have all season tactically. We didn't really know how they were going to play. We, we haven't really seen enough of them and also Pep has got multiple tricks up his sleeve. Um, so, yeah, I think the main my main emotion... Immediately afterwards was just disappointing disappointment that it that it ended four one and the way the way it ended really.
1: Uh, Tom, how about you? Uh, did you think the result flattered Man City?
2: Definitely agree. Yeah, I think if you look at outside of the four chances that Man City you've had and scored from, there wasn't much else that Shea Gibbons had to do on that day, and I feel the uh, the, the their final two goals, the two Alito, have come from the tiredness that playing against the Probe Guardiola team brings with it and we'd worked so hard to try and get that that second goal to equalise the scores and you could just see sort of from the the first one with Shawcross and Whelan who stop as Ian Accio is running through on goal and almost just accept that another goal's coming. I think the team was just totally exhausted and two on definitely flattered Man City.
1: Well there's been a lot of criticism uh, online, as you might expect, after a four-one home defeat, um, the defence has come in for quite a lot of the criticism, probably given the nature of the scoreline. Um, how did you rate our performance on the whole defensively yesterday?
0: I think. Well, I said it last week on the podcast as well, but I don't think anyone sort of. No one was amazing in that defence. I think Bardsley played a lot better um, at right back this week. Um, he, he was up against Sterling, but I thought he dealt with him quite well, to be honest. Um, obviously standing sort of he 's coming back to his best the sort of best football that we know he can, he is capable of, so the fact that Barty was able to control him i thought that 's commendable um Shaw cross was he just looks so slow he looks like he hasn 't really had a he hasn 't had a proper pre season i don 't know how much he's been sort of on the sidelines with a back problem like not doing not training with the actual squad doing the fitness work i don 't know if that 's a thing maybe he just looks off the pace as you mentioned Tom with that goal and he just stood stood still i know it's at the end of the game and we were chasing it for for large amounts for a large amounts for 90 minutes but it he doesn't he he does look off the pace and he, that that's causing him to struggle um but then just a quick maybe a positive of eric peters i know he's getting a lot of stick at the moment but he he actually got a good cross in yesterday which is the first time in a while um the the cross before Allen's penalty that never was 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 a good cross, so there's a positive to take from Eric Peters' performance. And just quickly on Walshide as well, um, he played all right, but he wasn't amazing. He's getting, I think, he's getting a bit too much praise. I like him, but it's like we've got France Beckenbauer at the back. It's <laughs> he, he was he was all right, um, nothing amazing.
2: I think lo- looking at the Man City attack and just the that abundance of quality, the fact that prior to Uh, sort of getting towards the end of the match we'd managed to stop Aguero scoring from open play and at times he looked dangerous but it wasn't anything too worrying he just scored from the the penalty and that free kick which we just we just can't defend set pieces which is the main concern from the defence from me it's sort of it's been a problem right throughout Hughes's uh, management at the helm of the club and we just totally look clueless at defending set pieces and it is normally the first opposition player is the player will score the goal the ball will be whipped over Whelan's head and it just it but apart from that I wasn't too disappointed with the defence.
1: Well what for you uh who for you rather were the standout players then for us uh who kind of impressed you as much as anyone can impress uh, in a game like that?
0: I know that uh, Tom wants to say a lot about Allen, so I won't. I won't sort of tread on his toes, almost. But as I mentioned, I think Bardsley played well. Um, Given is a is a, a fine number two. I think he's perfect at the moment. Obviously, he's getting old. So I mean, has he got one season left in him? Maybe. Um, but as a number two, he's fine. Obviously, he didn't have an amazing game. Four goals let in, but I guess there wasn't really too much um, on first looks or or few looks um, that Given could have done better. So yeah, I don't think. Outside of Allen, there were really anyone that sort of was amazing yesterday. Um, But yeah, you go ahead with your sort of Allen love, Tom, that I know you're very excited to do.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm label it as a a Joe (laughs) Allen-gasm. So he was statistically easily probably the best player on the pitch, definitely for Stoke and maybe better than some of the Man City players. Um, He had five interceptions with nobody else getting anywhere near that. He attempted six take-ons and three were successful, and that was it. Was only bettered by Arnie, who got four. He made um, four successful tackles, which is the most in the game, and then he, he completed one of the more shocking ones. Was he won three out of the four headers he attempted? And for a man who's five foot six, it was just almost. If you forget the scoreline, it was the perfect debut. He was all over the park. He was. The, the, I think everyone's mentioned the corner he takes, and then he charges back down the line seventy yards to stop, to kill the Man City counter attack dead. It was is almost similar to when I remembered watching sort of some of the clips of Imbuller and then see him seeing him in that Bournemouth game, and just thinking, this is absolutely perfect. This is the footballer we've needed. It's the same again with Joe Allen. Now I think it's just absolutely perfect.
0: I don't think many people knew what kind of centre mid um, Allen was, but um, he's just—he's a centre mid. He's an old-fashioned centre mid that can do everything well. Or like I know I don't want to jump the gun too much. This is his first game, and he, he had a good game. But on the face of it, from yesterday's performance, when he signed, everyone was like, "Is he—is he a holding midfielder? Is he a box-to-box midfielder, or is he sort of like behind the striker?" He can do everything. I'm in love with the man. He's—he's going to be fantastic for us this season. I—I'm I so excited for Joe Allen, and he just proved I think everyone sort of hopes right. He was fantastic yesterday.
1: And also, I think our, our corners just look better when he takes them as well. Uh, I mean, we didn't score directly from a corner, but just the delivery seemed to be just a lot more consistent than uh, than Bojano or Shaqiri's corners have been as well. So, if if we can, you know, harness that a bit, who knows? We might be able to score more than one goal from a corner this season.
0: Well uh, yeah, Shaw, Shawcross back in the day was scoring headers from corners all the time. Let's get let's get Allen and Shawcross. Let's let's get them together, get some corners scored.
1: Speaking of set pieces, um Mike Dean was at the centre of some uh, controversy. As I think it's fair to say um Mark Hughes uh, in his post-match comments uh, said he believed uh Mike Dean is a high-profile ref and maybe he enjoys uh having some of that attention. Um I think we'll need to sort of break down these decisions uh, one by one. First of all, uh, the first uh, penalty of the game, the Man City penalty. Uh, ben, what were your thoughts on that?
0: It's just so infuriating that it happens to Stoke. I think, I I I, was, I, I would suggest that a lot of people have the same view, that if, if that's going to be the way, then it needs to be the way every single corner. Um, and that one, it's just so harsh, just out of the blue. I guess the players have apparently been told not to do it, but then... I'm sure they've been told many seasons where, like, right, this is a season where we really step down on it and you're not going to be able to hold anyone anymore. So it is, I guess, naive from Shawcross, but from my stance, it's just infuriating that it happens to us. Obviously, it happened with Ashley Williams last season, I think, um, against Swansea. And that was the only time it ever happened. So if, if we continue to see it through the season, fair play. But it just seems so harsh when you see it every week for every team.
2: Yeah, certainly. The, the talk that was on the terraces and the, at half time was mainly, A, Shawcross has been... Why has Shawcross done it? He knows that the refs are watching him and all centre-backs, but specifically Ryan Shawcross for things like that. And he's given him the excuse. And it's a ball that that Otamendi's not really even going to be able to put much on. I mean, if Otamendi scores a header from there, it's one of the greatest headers you're ever going to see. And Shawcross is just dragging him down. And then the second part was, well, we want to see consistency. If they're going to do it, let's be consistent. And fair play to Mike Dean. He penalised Sterling for the second one.
1: Yeah, the um, uh, the second one um, was probably more controversial than the first penalty. The penalty we won, uh, Sterling has his hands on Shawcross, but sort of no more than that. He's kind of like just kind of stroking his chest, which is a bit weird. Um Ben, I think I've seen you on Twitter just highlight uh, something that came in the wake of that penalty decision where Shawcross is having a word with Mike Dean. Now, we can't really tell what he's saying, but it appears to be that Shawcross is disagreeing with a penalty decision that he's benefited from.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting one. It it, it does look like uh, he said to the ref that, look, look, Mike. You've got this one wrong. Sterling has literally put his hand on my chest, as you say, stroking me. Um that wasn't a penalty. Because he as he's walking off he sort of throws his hands up, say, Oh like what is going on? How can we be given penalties for the like little things like that? Um, and I don't know where I stand on it. Like Half of me is like, oh, it's lovely that Shawcross is being lovely and um, sporting or whatever. But the other half of me is like, we needed that penalty. If Mike Dean then turns around like, like actually, Ryan, you've got a point. That wasn't a penalty, maybe. Then we don't get a penalty. I don't know where I stand on it. Maybe my, my morals are being questioned on this issue. But yeah, it, fair play to Ryan, I guess, if, if that is what he's saying.
2: I think from Mike Dean's vivid gesticulations, you can see that he's awarded the penalty because... Sterling is making contact with another player, an opposition player in the box and is not paying any attention. I mean, he's he's 180 degrees turned around not looking at the ball and almost I think that that is the kind of, you see fouls being given for aerial duels all over the pitch for that and if Dean thinks that that's enough to award a penalty then so be it and I really don't think Ryan Shawcross should be encouraging referees not to give penalties as Good fair plays and everything. I think a stage where you 2 0 down against one of the best teams in the Premier League, you need to take all the luck that comes yeah, your way. I think
1: way. Uh, Ryan Shawcross was having a pretty horrible afternoon all round. Not, not only does he um, play in a defence that concedes four goals, but he's also having this kind of despair at the state of the game, you know, dis- despair at the state of refereeing and like what's <laughs> going on with this uh, corner situation. A, why am I being unfairly targeted? And B, why are penalties getting awarded for seemingly next to nothing? Um, There was also a penalty shout for Joe Allen in the first half. Do you think that the second penalty award might have been influenced by um, D not giving what looked like a stonewall penalty on Joe Allen first half?
0: Yes, I think so. But I, I, think I think Mike's been showing it at half-time in this dressing room. He's got Sky go up and think, "Oh my goodness, I've, I've, I've fluffed it again," and he's going to have to make up for it because he's obviously looking to give away to give a penalty to Stoke. Like he was eagle-eyed on the sort of Sterling challenge quotation marks. Um, but yeah, that that was a, another great moment for Alan, quickly, just on that bit where he did get his foot onto the ball and and who was it that hacked him down? Was it Kolarov from behind? Just smacks his leg. Th- or was Zabaleta? I think it was Zabaleta. Anyway, whoever it was, it's just in that situation, I don't think many other players for Stoke would have got even got into that position where he could have been fouled. Just the sort of that agility that Joe Allen clearly has to get the ball and get his foot in front of it. He created that penalty. So another sort of another <laughs> sort of I don't know, feather to his cap.
1: Absolutely. Um we saw Ramadan Sobi introduced uh with five minutes to go in the game, much to the delight of the uh Egyptian fans on the Stoke Facebook page. Uh, I know we had this discussion with Joe Allen uh, last week, having only played a short amount of minutes, but what did you make of the time he had on the pitch?
2: It was nice and exciting. Um, I think it's good to see someone sort of coming off the bench who isn't a John Waltersy type player, who you know exactly what you're going to get, and he will just sort of come on and fill in the role. It was nice to see Sobey and his highlight of the game had to be that coming inside in an almost Arnautovic-like manner and a, a bit of a back heel and some trickery to link the play up nicely. It was promising and hopefully... We aren't now going to get bombarded in the comments by Egyptian fans. I just I just before. wish he got
0: a bit longer, to be honest. I think the game needed him maybe five, ten minutes before he got subbed on. Um, and then he would have had a real chance to make an impact on the game. Because you did mention it. I think the, the moment for me of Sobby was that, that one-touch sort of back heel pass he did, which sort of created an opening straight away, which we don't really normally see. I We're, we're very stale in possession sometimes where Sobi came on, did that one touch pass, and immediately you see a bit of space opening up for us. So I'd, I, I'm really interested interested to see how he how he performs in the next few weeks or whenever he gets his chance. Really.
1: Okay, uh, just before we uh, wrap up uh, d- the discussion of this game, uh, we've got a tweet from at M underscore N on Twitter, who asks if Jufe's the answer, then what is the question? A- another sort of struggle for Jufe Uh, up front yesterday I think it's fair to say how much of that do you kind of put down to him having a bad game and how much do you put down to uh, once again a a sort of lack of creativity leading to chances
2: I'd put it mainly down to Juve's performance I think um, much different to the Middlesbrough game where Juice wasn't getting much service at all Um, he seemed to just not not have the ability to touch the ball away because we know, looking at that Man City team, if you're going to go, right, positions where I'm not too sure of quality, for me, it'd be the two centre-backs. I mean, Otamendi's had his problems and John Stones was dropped by Everton last year. They're both defenders who um, are fragile and Jufe every time he got the ball, it would sort of be a poor touch, even in the, uh, the lead-up to the corner um, where we got the penalty. Juice played a nice ball through the channel, and he runs onto it. has a poor touch, and is left really only with the option of shooting on his left foot. And all he can do is win the corner. I don't think he's clinical or technical enough to be leading that line in the system we play. I
0: think it's nice that Hughes is giving me, giving him, giving me. I'd love a chance at number nine. Um, giving him the second (laughs) chance in a row, um, because that's what we lacked. Um, we lacked sort of giving a striker a run a game so I think he did have a poor game Um, I think you said David on Twitter that sort of Middlesbrough was forgivable but this was probably a poor performance but I don't think that necessarily means that we should drop him Um, I think he should be given a few more chances Um, yeah Uh, but and another mention for Hozaloo I mean Hoosaloo more like where is he like where is is he? he I, like, no one knows about Ozilou he's been here for a year and a bit and I don't think many Soak fans could really say the type of striker he is he hasn't, given it, he hasn't been given his chance so yeah I, I, well we'll get on to that in a bit but I wanted, I wanted to get a chance at Stevenage
1: but yeah anyway OK uh, we'll leave it there for the first half uh, join us after the break oh, John. Oh, John. Welcome back to part two of the Wizards of Drivel podcast. With the Man City game firmly out of the way, the Stoke Faithful uh, should look forward to a win, hopefully, at some point this week. First of all, we've got an away trip at Stevenage in the EFL Cup. Uh, League Cup is always a competition that we haven't really taken too seriously in the first few rounds. Uh, I was at Luton Town last season, and I'd like to erase that from my memory as quickly as possible. But uh, Ben, what kind of team do you hope to see at uh, Stevenage? Well, as
0: I alluded to, I'd love to see Hotsalu, at least in the squad. Um, I mean, unless he sort of disappeared completely off the off the face of the earth. I think we mentioned again in the, on, in the podcast last week, it'd be lovely to see a Joel Taylor, if he is fit. I'm not sure if I saw a few sort of smatterings of people saying he might not be fit, but Joel Taylor at left back is sort of a development that I would like to see and, and see how it went. Um and other than that, I'm not I'm not too fussed. I'd, I, I would like to see a decent performance from us against Stevenage. As you mentioned, I was at the Luton game last year as well. And I think we were kind of in a similar position where we hadn't had a good performance yet in the league. And everyone was sort of went into the Luton game thinking, oh, it'll be fine. We're playing Luton. Luton are awful. Um, we'll smash them. And it was probably one of the worst games of football I've ever seen, um, except for the penalty shootout at the end, which was quite fun. But... Hopefully we won't be seeing that on Tuesday. Um, but yeah, other than that, I'm, I'm not too fussed. I think Joel Taylor um, and Hozulu would be lovely. And then whatever sort of... And no crouch, actually. That's that's a big a big thing for me.
2: Yeah, I reflect on that. I was having a, a conversation um, earlier with Chris on Twitter about not wanting to see crouch at all because I'm not sure what he brings. And we know that if we're playing against a team who are pressing as high and we just need to be getting that ball forward, then of course you can use Crouch, but I'd much rather see sort of one of the youth players, maybe, and and Goy probably is the uh, most likely one to be picked. It'd be much nicer to see a young striker come up, especially with the issue we have at strikers at the minute. Hopefully, if we can get someone to come forward
1: from the the academy, that would be something really nice. Now, yeah, I'd agree. Um, There's not many teams... uh kind of worse than Stevenage in the league. They're currently uh, 20th in League 2. They did uh, just beat uh, the aforementioned Luton Town 2-1. That was their first win of the season. So I think um, if it was a championship team or a like high-flying League 1 team, I'd, I'd maybe be a bit more cautious and play a, a few more sort of established named, names, if you like. But uh, at the risk of sounding uh, stupid and having egg on my face... It is Stevenage, and I think there's definitely room for the likes of Taylor or Ngoy to feature. Um, then on Saturday we travel to Goodison Park uh, to play Everton. Everton, who've just recorded a two-one victory over Tony Pulis's West Brom, they they're looking decent at the start of the season under Ronald Koeman. Are we are we worried?
0: Yeah probably i will be next saturday um after we get knocked out in the league cup thanks to your sort of glowing review of how things are going to go on tuesday i'm sure we're going to get knocked out now um but yeah they they do look decent of I, I think they were going to look decent with kumin at, at the top um signing belassi sort of is a is a decent signing i know he sort of hasn't done too much in terms of stats and i'm not his biggest fan anyway but it's i'm sure he'll do he'll do bits for everton um but yeah, we, I, we go into that game probably kind of needing a result, which is a dangerous position to be in. Because if we don't get the result, then heads will drop and next week's podcast will be even more depressing to listen to. Um, <laughs> so, I, so I don't want to say this is a must-win game or whatever, because it is Everton away and that is a very difficult to, fixture to go into. But what I would like to see, which is probably something that I'll be screaming for for the entire season, is just a good performance. Um, creating some chances solid at the back and then we'll see what happens if we end up losing it like 1-0 or 2-1 then that's absolutely fine but as long as we get a good showing in and 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 show and sort of reach our potential it is there we, we all know it's there somewhere but it just never happens so if we see a good performance i'll be happy
2: i think it's it's one of those things now that. We are all conditioned after the years under Pulis fall that we need to think, right, away games, no chance, this isn't going to be very good. We're, we're petrified of them. But realistically, the Premier League is now turning towards a league, league where away wins are becoming a lot more likely than home wins, especially in two teams like us and Everton, who are very level and we can almost just take the role of the counter-attacking side. Plus, as well, we've got Butland, Johnson, and Shakiri all to return. Uh, that all seems pretty likely, provided there's no injuries midweek. It's something that we're going to be getting nearer and nearer that full strength first team. And hopefully, we can have a performance similar to the one
1: that we had last year at Everton. Because that would be a fantastic repeat. You mentioned uh, the signing of Yannick Balassi there, Ben. Uh, Everton. I think one of their main strengths is a really sort of pacey, creative uh, attacking midfield like uh, Man City uh, demonstrated uh, yesterday, although not to the same extent. They've got players like Kevin Morales, they've got players like Ross Barkley and Bellassi who can uh, really hurt a team with, with their sort of quick passing and pace. Are you worried about our defence holding up to that?
0: Again, probably yes. Um, Philip Walshide, obviously not renowned for his pace. And as I mentioned earlier on in the podcast, Shawcross has looked very, very slow at the start of the season and at the end of last season when he came back from injury. So I guess that is exactly what, that's exactly what we don't want to face in this situation where we haven't got a win from the first two games. Um, but I guess all that means is that Mark Hughes is going to have to prepare for that. He knows what Everton have. We know what Everton have um, going forward. So, so I'm guessing we'll we need to maybe sit five, ten yards back, um, don't dive into challenges like, I know Well, especially Eric Peters has been guilty of numerous times um, so yeah, having a bit of composure at the back which is something we've been lacking for a while but something that I'm guessing is going to be vital if we're going to get anything from from this game
1: There's been some uh, debate about the role of Gianelli and Bula uh, he played further forward uh, yesterday with Allen and Whelan sitting behind with Dufour uh, top is that something you'd, is that an experiment you'd like to see continue, or would you rather Imbula slot back into the, that midfield too? And if so, uh, what would your midfield look like? I think I'd probably not play Imbula as sort of as that
2: almost I don't know what should we call it like a false number ten role, um, dropping back to a, a centre midfield two with Joe Allen and get Bojan moved inside because I think for as defensive vulnerable as that, my makers. I don't think Glenn Whelan's had a, a brilliant start to the season. And I think with Joe Allen's work rate, right, you have actually got somebody who will drop back and try and win the ball in that area where Whelan normally operates. And Bojan out wide against Man City was just... It's just—it's clearly something that's never worked for him. He was tried out wide at Roma or at Ajax, and he totally struggled with it. We need to get Bojan back in the middle because that's where we're going to get the most from him, and he's such a pivotal player. That if we can get the best from him we are going to be a seriously strong side.
0: Yeah, I think I think Imbula's sort of the best aspect of Imbula's play as well is is that taking the ball from defence to attack, those sort of mazy runs and and getting past players which he's going to struggle to do in in the the behind the striker role that he was playing on Saturday. I don't think it's like an awful role for him really. I think he could do it. He's he's definitely got the capability, but when as you say, you've got Whelan there who is looking tired. I mean, I love Glenn Whelan. I think he's he's been so good for us. And it, and it does sort of break my heart to see him sort of struggling in the midfield. But he's just not the same player as he was. And I know for a long, long time he has improved himself year on year um, to suit sort of suit the role that we need him to be in but this year I don't think it's going to happen I think it's one year too far so yeah I, as I mentioned again um, Allen is the midfielder that can do anything seemingly off his first performance so let's try Allen and Bula in a midfield too um, there's certainly players that can do everything that um, that a midfielder is a centre midfielder is expected to do all, all the chat will be about Paul Pogba for the next few weeks but in my eyes it's all about Joe Allen he he is that he is a he is a complete central midfielder and if he can play alongside Impula in that role I think it could work
1: yeah I really think we should have made a bigger deal of the Joe Allen signing maybe have a video with uh, Stormzy and Adidas <laughs> adverts and all, all the rest of it
0: maybe get a chicken
1: in there. we uh, <laughs> we need to cash in on that chicken and egg sponsorship money definitely uh, um we mentioned there about sort of the lack of pace in the defence and just kind of the worries at the back in general. Uh, one player who we've been tentatively linked with recently is uh, Phil Jones. Uh, is that a signing that, that excites you?
2: I mean, he doesn't fit in with the uh, current aesthetic of the squad. I mean, he's certainly not good looking enough to play for Stoke City at the minute. Um, but as a player, sort of, I have always been, I don't know why, I think it's probably because I'm angry that Ryan Shawcross never gets picked for England. I've always thought he wasn't a very good player, but then if you look back at his stats and sort of some of the Man United defences he's played in, there's really strong defences there. I think the only question that probably lingers over that transfer if it does go through is, does he come in for Philip Walshide, or if we go on form, he's probably going to come in for Ryan Shawcross, which would be sort of something you can't see any manager doing dropping a captain of a club who's been our captain for what now 7 or 8 years it's a it's a, I, yeah
0: i'm not i'm really not sure on on Phil Jones i think he's a player that has got a lot of hype over nothing a sort of balassi of center back um <laughs> for one for, for the first reason why when i saw it um i was sort of like oh, not sure is his injury record we've got a squad that, that's already sort of getting injuries every every other minute so adding another player that has has sort of had a had a career that's been completely affected by his injuries it's just it's a risk that I'm not sure we should be in a position to take obviously if it's a lone move then then that might be a bit better but when we need a sort of center back to come in and replace someone I, I don't know about Phil Jones another thing is that he, he's a a center back that plays in different positions and and that's another thing that I know a lot of people like they like that um That that sort of they can fill more more roles than one, but I think that sort of affects his ability to to do his best role. So I'm guessing his sort of preferred role is centre back. Um, But he's not he's not developed as the as the sort of amazing centre back he was destined to be. Almost, I think Alex Ferguson was saying he's one of the best players that he's that he sort of had in his youth system, or or he signed. Sorry, he signed him from Blackburn, didn't he? But yeah, yeah, he hasn't he hasn't sort of reached that potential. So is is he any good, or is it all just hype like Yannick Balassi? I don't know. We'll see if we sign him.
1: Well, the uh, positions that sort of most of the Stoke fans on Radio Stoke were kind of uh, crying out for were centre back and uh, centre forward. I know uh, you you guys have written stuff for Bear Pit in the past saying we don't really kind of need a new centre back. I think Tom, did you yeah, write an yeah, article? Yeah, did to that, yeah. Fact? Um, uh, based on the first two games, do you stand by that?
2: Um, I'm not desperately sure because I, I look at the. the I, I think my point still stands. I mean, Philip Walshide's had a good start to the season, and I think he's beginning to prove his doubt is wrong. If not, some people have got a bit too excited about uh, his performances, and I think it, the matter is it all comes down to does Ryan Shawcross reclaim the form we've seen him have and become that defensive stalwart once more because if we can get that back then i'd say 100% no we've got young defenders in Munisia and experienced centre backs like Jeff Cameron we don't need another one but if Shawcross can't reclaim that then it'll become a black hole within a squad that no one can fill until we've signed a seriously good quality centre back
0: it could be heartbreaking for Shawcross really if, if he never does get that form back this is the season where he he could eventually get some England, England starts under his belt. But if he's in this like desperately bad form that he seems to be in at the moment, then he's never going to get a chance, which is just, it just, it breaks my heart. It really does. What a shame.
1: Yeah, we'll kind of just have to hope that Shawcross just kind of, uh, I don't know, just a few hours in the training ground or just, just some rest time can sort of pay off. Because I don't know about you, but I think the the kind of worst goal uh, for us to concede yesterday was in my opinion maybe not the second goal, maybe it was the third goal where uh, Man City sprung a sort of attack on us. I think uh, someone dispossessed Allen, and then Shawcross was kind of just stood motionless while an easy ball was played through. Uh, are, are you are you confident that Shawcross can come back, or are you are you still kind of? really not sure and just hoping. Uh, yeah,
2: it's definitely just hope now. I think it's sort of the same thing as Ben said. Sort of my, I don't think my heart could take Ryan Shawcross not being able to sort of walk into that Sam Allardyce England side because he's struggling so much to play at home. Although maybe it's just the standard Mark Hughes, we're still basically in pre-season, we need five or six games to really get into our form. But that to me... With Shawcross's current performances, it just doesn't seem to be the case, and he does seem to have almost totally lost it. But yeah, I can only hope that he can come back. The thing,
0: the, the thing I wonder about Ryan Shawcross is, that he is exactly the type of player that if he had a little knock on his back or he had some pain, he would just continue to play. He wouldn't say anything if it was if it didn't really um, stop him from playing. Which so I wonder if there's something there that that is hurting him or something that's affecting him if it's just if it's not just his fitness which it did which it did seem yesterday that it was that he he lacks some some real match fitness then maybe he's like carrying a knock or something and he's not telling anyone and but that's to the detriment of the team so yeah I, I it's a bit of an out there theory probably nothing there's no truth in it but it was just something i wondered this morning
1: yeah on the centre forward issue, then uh, the saido Berahino saga just—it kind of won't go away. But I think uh, increasingly it looks like Berahino probably will stay at the Hawthorns. Um, how, how do you how do you feel about that in general? Are you frustrated that we uh, can't seem to get our man, or are you kind of re- relieved? Is Berahino someone you wanted anyway? I mean, do we need a striker, or do we just need to? Uh, improve our sort of getting you know, creating chances rather than the guy who finishes them. There's a there's a lot of questions in that one in that uh, one question. But um the overall sort of question is do we need Berrino? I really like the look of Sodo Barrahino
2: because he's that sort of striker who will almost in an Aguero fashion, and I'm not calling Saido Berrino Aguero, he's definitely not that good and will uh, never be I that think good. that's
1: exactly I think that's exactly what you're saying. You're saying, you know, you've called him the English Guerrero in the past. So.
0: Um, yeah. Guerrero. He drops
2: back and links up with the player and then bursts through that defence and finds the net. But the one thing I'm finding really confusing is sort of how we seem to be, this transfer seems to be stopping and stopping and never going to happen. And um, a few weeks ago now, it must have been, there was a, an interview with Skulls on, the, on Stokes' YouTube channel talking about how transfers are done. And he talked about how, oh, we don't always just pursue one target. Well, it seems with this striker that our only target is Saido Berrahino because there is a decent abundance of strikers sort of around the Premier League who'd come in and could do a job for us, maybe if it's even for one season, sort of a, a Wilfred Bonney or a Loic Reming. But we just seem to have no links with them whatsoever. And it seems to be Barahino or no one else.
0: You know that was exactly my point as well. That was what I was going to say. It's it's a weird one because obviously I wrote an article a few weeks ago saying that Stoke don't need any 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 more players after signing Sorby Allen and re-signing Arnautovic. But my issue with this is, as you say, Tom, we're not being linked with anyone else, which doesn't mean that we're not sort of going for anyone else. But if Hughes has Hughes has denoted that the uh, the centre forward role is somewhere that we need to improve. And we're only going for one player. Like, why? Why is that? Why are we not sort of looking elsewhere? If the Berahino thing is stalling so much, why are we just concentrating on him rather than looking for another striker? That that confuses me and and slightly worries me. That if there is a position that we need to strengthen, why aren't we strengthening it?
1: I wish I could answer that question, <laughs> uh, but we're running out of time. Um, uh, before we sort of wrap up, uh, shall we have some predictions for first of all, Stevenage? And then Everton.
2: Uh, Stevenage, I'd say probably like 2-0 Stoke. Sort of a nice, comfortable, maybe not the best performance, but hopefully a decent win. And Everton maybe stealing it 2-1 with a, a, a late Arnautovic streamer. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I'm going to say for the Stevenage game 4-1 to us I think we need a 4-1 after what we witnessed on Saturday and I just saw this morning that the Stevenage striker is in the League 2 team of the week so they're inevitably going to get a goal from him um, and Everton it's going to be 2-2 there's going to be goals again because we just can't defend and I'm going to say that we're going to score two because I really want us to
1: score two <laughs> nothing like blind optimism then. exactly um, yeah I think we'll We'll see off Stevenage. I just, I'd really like it not to go to extra time. I'd just love us to do, just do a professional job, just get rid of those memories from Luton where they took us all the way to that penalty shootout. Uh, so I'm going to say 3 uh, 0. I'll go for a 3 0. Maybe Ngoi coming off the bench and scoring, hopefully. Uh, Everton, oh, it, see, this, this this is one <laughs> of those games that, that for me, it, any any result, that you suggest could happen. like th- They mm. could win 3-0, we could win 3-0, that kind of thing. Um, I'm going to continue with this sort of theme of optimism because on the back of a 4-1 defeat, you kind of need some optimism. So I'm going to say we're going to win 3-2 and uh, Arnalsovic is going to score a hat-trick just to, just to annoy all the Everton fans who sort of said they didn't need him right, get him in your fantasy teams yeah, then lads yeah, captain him yeah make, make it, making your captain that's my big fancy football tip <laughs> this on Artovic Tri- um, absolutely put him as triple captain particularly if, particularly <laughs> if you're in uh, one of my leagues um, yeah before we go I'll just uh, plug the wizardsofdribble.com they, we've put up uh, two pieces on there recently uh, there's a great article uh, from Sam who's written about juice performance against Borough If you think Juve had a bad game against Middlesbrough, you'd maybe want to think again. There's some excellent GIFs in... Is it GIFs or GIFs? It doesn't matter. (laughs) There's some excellent uh, GIFs in there about the kind of movement he made and maybe our more creative players let him down. And also there's something from Jason about uh, potential Academy breakthrough players, uh, looking at the likes of uh, Dominic Telford, Joel Taylor and Julian Ngoy. Hashtag Deploy lads. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Well, I guess,
0: as always, you can listen to my new podcast now, um, Rival Podcast, that covers the, the bad, the ugly and the boring of modern football. It's called Left Back in the Studio, so you can search for it on iTunes or follow it at LB in the studio and have a listen, give us a follow, let us know what you think.
2: And uh, I've got a blog that should be going up later today, maybe tomorrow. Um, that will, if you think Eric Beers isn't good enough for Stoke City, you are just wrong and you need to read that blog to find out why.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Um, myself, I've got something on the Shoot magazine website, shoot.co.uk, uh, talking about Gianelli and Bueller and how he's the best footballer on the face of the earth. Um, if you want to get in touch with either of us individually, I am at David Cowlishaw on Twitter. Ben, you are?
0: B-A-J Cartwright.
1: And Tom At
2: Sussex stokey uh
1: if you wanna give any suggestions or any feedback or uh if you've got any questions about the show, you can tweet us at Wizards of drivel on twitter uh really do get involved and spread the word if it's if this is something you're enjoying because as always we want to reach as many Stoke fans as possible you know create a debate and obviously uh boost those soundcloud figures um That's it from us. Thanks for listening. Go on, Stoke.